Hey, fintech friends. Hey fintech friends, my name is Helen Femi Williams and I'm your host of this new podcast, Hey Fintech Friends. This podcast is brought to you by This Week in Fintech, which is on the front page of Global Fintech News, fostering the largest fintech community through newsletters, thought leadership and events. Oh, and now podcasting. And what's quite cool about this community is the creativity, the intelligence and also an understanding that those who work in the field are just regular people who've decided to devote themselves to solving a particular problem. And with that comes a unique mix of finance, technology and fun, which is exactly what this podcast wants to explore. So expect this content to be informative, yes, but we're also keen to get to know our founders and ask them the questions that you didn't know you needed answering. So let's talk about the structure of this podcast. First, we're going to go through the news. And if you're a subscriber to the This Week in Fintech newsletter, you're in luck because this is the audio version. And then we're going to have a chat to this week's friend, Pierre a principal at FS Vector, a strategic consultancy firm for financial service clients. And lastly, we'll go through a snippet of this week's latest Signal article by Sophie Vo, The Stock's Secret Menu. Oh, and one last thing before we start this interview, I should tell you that every episode we're going to be dropping a fintechionary. And yeah, I did just make up that phrase, but basically it is what it says. It's basically the dictionary definition of a word one of our guests say, just to ensure that all the friends listening to this are on the same page. So this week's fintechionary is actually financial inclusion. Financial inclusion, according to Investopia, refers to efforts to make financial products and services accessible and affordable to all individuals and companies, regardless of their personal net worth or company size. Financial inclusion strives to remove the barriers that exclude people from participating in the financial sector and using these services to improve their lives. It's also called inclusive finance. And you'll see throughout the conversation, this is a recurring theme between my conversation with Pierre. So I hope you enjoy our friendly chat. But first, This Week in Fintech. Welcome to This Week in Fintech. Goldman Sachs is reportedly raising $2 million to buy the assets of distressed crypto lender Celsius. Mastercard launches a female and non-binary Web3 association, and Visa launched Bitcoin cashback cards in Brazil and Argentina with local issuers. Qatar National Bank launched an open banking suite of tools, and Belgian bank KBC launched its own digital currency, Capecoin. Bloomberg, Market Access and TradeWeb formed a JV to provide European fixed income data. The Reserve Bank of India has lifted the ban on MasterCard. The UK is looking to revise and overhaul its Consumer Credit Act and set out much tougher guidelines for buy now, pay later providers. The Bank of International Settlements wants a financial system built on central bank stablecoins. And the Bank of Israel wants to build a fully anonymous digital shekel. In fintech product launches, Stripe launched its global infrastructure to enable bank transfers to the UK, EU and Mexico. Consumer credit card Petal launched new personalised cashback and rewards offers. 
Credit Karma also launched an enhanced cashback feature and Klarna launched a shopping royalty feature in its app, while PayPal launched its own buy now pay later offering, Pay Monthly. In other news, Facebook Pay rebranded to MetaPay with plans to build a cross-meta wallet. Austrian crypto exchange Bitpanda and digital banking infrastructure Amount are the latest to start making job cuts. Crypto brokerage Voyager Digital's valuation plummeted 60% due to $661 million exposure to 3AC. China's central bank approved Ant Group's application to become a financial holding company after regulators forced the company to restructure its operations. And finally, Mono aims to be Latin America's first branchless bank for small businesses. That's this week in FinTech. With over a decade of experience in financial services, serving as a senior policy advisor, consultant and federal bank regulator, Pierre has advised senior federal financial regulatory officials and a wide range of financial service clients, including the board of directors, executive level leadership at both the community and large global financial institutions, as well as members of Congress in both the US and House of Representatives. Pierre is well-versed in various aspects of financial services, including consumer protection, financial stability, housing, capital markets, small business, tax and trade and manufacturing matters. In addition, he regularly examined legislative, regulatory and judicial developments impacting the financial services industry. Hi, Pierre. Great to meet you today. Likewise. And have you on the podcast you are our second guest our second friend um so yeah exactly cheer for that um so my first question I guess is just like where are you based like we'll start with the serious like fintech questions get to know you You can explain to us what you do and and like you know bridge the gap between like understanding all these very technical terms that happen in fintech and like you know everything else so i guess the first question is is just about you like where are you based how did you get into fintech what do you actually do who are you absolutely well first appreciate the invite super excited um thank you for having me uh shout out to one thing that i want to just stress is that it's great to see uh the the diversity um, in this space. Uh, so shout out to you and your team for, you know, your leadership in this space and elevating voices like mine who uh, are involved in this space every day. So I appreciate that. Um, so uh, a little bit about me. Look, I am pretty much, if you can tell, my personality is pretty big. Um, I'm from a little small country town uh, in Georgia called Noonan, Georgia. It's about 30 minutes south of Atlanta, so I rep it hard everywhere I go. I tell people I'm not from Atlanta. Uh, you know, I went, you know, I used to grow up on a, you know, a farming, fishing, riding horses, you know, all that good stuff. So the typical Georgia boy I am, so I want to stress that. So, uh, and, um, you know, I, you know, I went to school, I uh, went, to, you know, after graduating high school, you know, I played basketball. I was involved in like student government. So public service has just always been a part of me. Um, my, I have a family who own a funeral home back home in Newton, Georgia. Um, so that also kind of contributed to kind of being selfless and acts of service, things of that sort. I started doing that when I was 12, 13 years old. 
Um, shout out to Seller Smith Funeral Home, uh, where service is an everlasting memory. Uh, and then, you know, I graduated high school and went to Howard University based in Washington, D.C., the Mecca, uh, HU. Um, and so it was, you know, there is where I kind of like just cultivated just, you know, the Mecca, Black excellence, being able to, you know, confidence to know that you're able and you can, you know, do all these amazing things and not be kind of, you go from being kind of, you know, the the standout person and, you know, the one person in the room to kind of being surrounded by people who look and think like you and that, 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 that excellence, right? And it kind of breeds and and, and, and cultivation. So I, I, I'm very appreciative of my time at Howard, uh, and which, which, by the way, kind of led me down this path. Um, you know, I grew up during the financial crisis at, at Howard, you know, so we're talking about 08, 09, you know, and uh, back home in Georgia, for folks that who don't know, Georgia was really, really adversely impacted by the, by the recession um, because of real estate, housing. Uh, I believe Georgia suffered the second most bank closings in the country. If not the second, it was definitely certainly top three um, during, mm-hmm. during the financial crisis. So for me, being in D.C. and having my entire family back home in Georgia and seeing kind of the real world impact of like a financial crisis. You know, you open up your econ book, you're at, you know, I'm in school at Howard and I was an econ major at Howard. Um, and so you're going through and you're reading these, reading about these concepts and they're very like theoretical before. And then you turn on TV and it's like they're talking about supply, demand, failures, the you know, right. interest rates and, you know, the Fed, federal funds rate, you know, all these things that people kind of every day for the last, you know, prior to kind of like, what is this? Oh, whatever. It's boring. It's, it's for nerdy, you know. So for me, that kind of started it. Um, and kind of seeing how, you know, and, and, and what really did it was, you know, I remember turning on the TV every morning and seeing like watching CNBC, you know, for folks, you know, that's kind of the business cable news network channel. And they were covering kind of the financial crisis and Lehman Brothers had just, they had just uh, collapsed. And kind of, you know, the Fed and Ben Bernanke and regulators were trying to respond back, Treasury Secretary. And what stood out to me the most, and this is me, I believe, sophomore year at Howard, freshman, sophomore year, was no one in the room looked like me. No one. There was not a single African-American slash black minority. I don't even remember if there's been a woman in the room. I believe Sheila Bear was still there. Um, So one woman. And so and you're talking about a crisis that you know, impacted everyone. So, you know, not just the wealthy, not just, you know, rural, not just underbanked or minority. So the lack of diversity is something that stood out immediately. Um, And I said, you know, when we're contemplating these policy responses uh, moving forward, I wanted to make sure that I was in the room uh, moving forward if this ever was to happen again. And so that kind of motivated me to like get involved in financial services policy and things of that sort, especially seeing the impact on housing and the banking sector and um, kind of the products and services that were being offered um, to consumers and, and customers around the world. So across the country. 
So that's that's my kind of intro. And then luckily, while I was at Howard, I was fortunate to have an internship at the Securities and Exchange Commission. And um, under the leadership, I believe, of Mary Shapiro, who was the first, I believe, the first woman chair of the SEC at the time. She had came over from the CFTC and she was had she had been at FINRA, I believe. Um, and, and her leadership, you know, during that time was stellar. Um, and that also kind of just, again, the, the diversity piece and being heard and amplifying voices. So, um, that was my intro to kind of this world and very happy, very, very happy. And, you know, Dodd Frank came out of that and all these other things, which we can talk about. Later. Yeah, that's really interesting. You touched on so much, like from your childhood. I don't really know that much about Atlanta. Just like, I mean, I, I do watch The Real Housewives of Atlanta. So, <laughs> my. <too. laughs> oh, great. <laughs> this season's not that great. <laughs> I'm, 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 old, but, yeah. I'm old school Real Housewives of Atlanta, like season one, two, three, like Phaedra them, you know, all that. Yeah, she's back actually. She's on girls' trip in in the Real Housewives <laughs> girls' trip. Um, but yeah, no, like exactly the shades just not doing it like it used to. Yeah, yeah, so. they, they're trying, they're, they're trying too hard now. I feel because they they all need a peach. But um, <laughs> so yeah, my my concept of Georgia and Atlanta comes off the, comes out of that. Right, right. And so I have I have actually always wanted to like visit it and see it. Um, so you should come. I, I can you 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 should talk about so many things related to fintech. You know, Atlanta's known for a lot of different things besides the good food. I'm sure you know the culture, <laughs> music. Um, you know, I don't know if it's if it's appropriate to talk about strip clubs, but it's part of the culture <laughs> in Atlanta. God. Hey, you know, yeah, uh, and, and, I've had the strip clubs are, are, are quite mad. Right? That's right. Uh, that's like, right. Well, that, that's what, that's what it's known for, right? It's Atlanta's, you know, known for many other things, you know, right? that are that are much more important. It's for, like civil rights era, yeah. you know, Martin Luther King. But sure, well, well, we'll talk about chicken wings and strip clubs, lemon right? pepper wings and strip clubs. Which, by the way, oh, that's it. That lemon pepper wings. That's, that's it. right. Lemon pepper think, wings and, and strip clubs. Which, by the way, has a very neat fintech financial services angle access to financial services so we can always you know spin this thing back uh make sure that you know, <laughs> i'm always for the people i'm always for equal access to financial services <laughs> yeah okay well it looks like i should definitely come to atlanta um i will i'll put it on the list although yeah i'm not yeah yeah Amer- america <laughs> it's a lot for me um and but yeah, you also touched on like diversity playing this yeah. ma- massive role as well within your career and how it continues. How do you feel like diversity plays a role within like the fintech space or like the lack of or or do you think it's changing like in your experience, like in your career? How's that sort of move? Fintech is something that's relatively new. Um, and, you know, it's 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 always, you know, with, you know, investors and startups and things and these unicorns, you know, more power to them. Um, I think there's much work to be done still um, as far as investments and, you know, venture capital and things of that sort, putting those type of investments into minority-owned and women-led fintech firms. Um, because to be honest, you know, it's, 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 a, it's an issue that if you want to adequately serve everyone, then your our companies, our financial services and products have to be inclusive and reflective of the customers or the consumers that you're serving. 
That's the only way. I mean, there's a business case for doing that. Not only that, like your leadership has to, you know, uh, uh, be a shining example of that uh, because groupthink is real. Uh, group creep think group. Um, you know, it's it's hard for just to be quite honest, you know, a room full of, you know, board of, you know, 50, 60 year old white men want to talk about, you know, getting products and services to, you know, rural America or to, you know, a city that's, you know, majority minorities. Right. Um, yeah. That, that distribution and that marketing and those things are certainly going to be different. And there's a, there's going to be a disconnect. And so I think, um, and I think, you know, as people are, you know, consumers and customers are becoming more savvy, the people who are getting these products and services, they're becoming much more politically aware and socially aware of these type of uh, discrepancies and, you know, they want to see that in the marketplace. They want to see themselves in the marketplace. Um, that may not have been the case 20, 30 years ago, may, not even 10 years ago, I think. But I think with the rise of social media, you know, and things of that sort and, and the Internet and Web3 and the metaverse, and all these type of things, you know, ESG, you know, I think people, you know, consumers are way more smarter now. Or they're, they're much more smarter than and being socially aware of these type of issues. So diversity for me is very key, very important. And it's just good business. It's just good business. We've talked so much in this space and, and you can obviously respond to like what I think is maybe you have a different perspective on it. But I do realise actually, we didn't actually talk about like what you actually do. So I just want to circle back as well and just say, you know, to your to your non-fintech friends, how do you explain what you do? So like, what do you say to your mom? Oh, your mom. <laughs> oh man, uh, it, it should be. What do I say to my grandma? <laughs> trying to explain it. Yeah, no, I, I think you know. For me, I tell my, you know, I tell folks, you know, back home and my grandparents and my mother is like, hey, they're like, what do you do every day? And I'm like, well, my job is to make fintechs and financial services companies better. Uh, and also, you know, so I go to Capitol Hill to Congress men and congresswomen and to banking agencies, regulatory agencies, and to executive branch, meaning White House and things of that sort. And I go in there and let them know and tell them all the great things that these companies are doing. And also on the flip side, whenever these companies are not doing great things, I still go in and tell that story and act as a kind of a partner liaison uh, between private sector and to Congress and to executive branch agencies. So basically, I'm the voice. Like I act as a voice um, for those entities. But also, what I take, what I value the most is is help is partnering with these companies to help them do the right thing, do better business. So for me, like for example, you know, as I touched on earlier, diversity, fair lending, then uh, you know. Uh, making sure that these, you know, when we talk about fintech and algorithms and credit outcomes, right? When you do an online application that uh, that when you're getting that, you know, answer back, getting denied or like, you know, approved, that those companies are telling you the reasons why and they're, and it's it, it, and, and it's a fair outcome. And I want to make sure that people on the other side of that i.e. policymakers and regulators know exactly the type of value that these companies are bringing 
or if they need to improve their business practices. So I I I look at it as I'm, as as I'm helping move the industry forward in the right direction. So that's what I tell my folks. Yeah. It's like it's like I I work for it. When you go to Bank of America, you go to Navy Federal, when you go to whoever you bank with, credit union or bank, um, I want to make sure that you are being adequately served and protected at the same time. So. Yeah, because there's that. I think I guess that's that there's that real element of financial literacy that is changing. I mean, that is so important, but also is so needed because the financial system is changing so quickly. So you're kind of like the go between between what people know and you know those creating the policies and kind of um, coordinating that and making sure everyone's kind of in the same boat. Would that be like a way of explaining it absolutely did i get it right? no no absolutely <laughs> i i am uh and the, for the formal title you know it's it's i'm a principal at a firm called fs vector um it's a lobbying and you know advisory firm so again i'm on the government i'm on the government relations side slash lobbying side that's great i mean it's honestly it sounds really interesting um I, like I find this stuff, I, I find like the regulation of like fintech and like how how it's changing and like how different governments are trying to like just be the best at it because it's um or I don't know chasing their tail a little bit. I find it so interesting because everyone's doing a different approach, but actually everyone's also kind of doing the same approach. And ha- being the person that's kind of shaping that seems like such an interesting thing to do. And so, like, what sort of um, fact or stat have you learned recently that you think is important within policy or fintech? Um, for me, you know, I think, you know, I think there's been a lot of, you know, not only in the United States, but globally, you know, around cryptocurrency, right? Digital assets, right? Right. And, uh, you know, I think for folks who don't know this, you know, some, you know, some may or may not, but, you know, uh, the majority of folks who are in the crypto space, retail crypto space, or you know, black and brown people. Um, right. And, I didn't know that. And so, you know, when we think about crypto being this, um, you know, you know, sliver, which it is, but this sliver of only, you know, super smart people are getting involved in it and are engaged in it and only, you know, no one can touch it itself. You know, you have to be elitist and all of these things that, that some people brand with traditional financial services and products or or traditional finance, if you will. Um, crypto is is being used and you know adopted by black and brown communities the most at the fastest rate. Now, what that means also is, you know, there's so many public policy questions that we can ask about that is why, of course, is that and what do the protections look like? And why are traditionally historically underrepresented populations, you know, running towards crypto? And we can talk about many reasons for that because we can talk about historical discrimination within traditional finance, the wealth generation opportunity. So we talk about the financial inclusion benefits of crypto, uh, being able to enter enter, you know, into a space where you don't have to have, you know, that that you control it yourself um, and the outcomes and things of that sort, the transparency around it. Um, these are all things that are benefits to, you know, I think some of the reasons why 
black and brown people are running towards crypto. Um, but it's it's and, and in the same vein for me, because I operate in this space, it's equally important that for all those benefits um, that we have the right, you know, policy framework and the protections in place to protect the same people who have been underrepresented and who traditionally are the first people who are the most vulnerable, um, who are at the front line, with, who, who are at the front line when something goes bad. Um, and they suffer the most. So we want to make sure that, you know, I'm working diligently and kind of making sure that those protections and that balance is, you know, in place um, as we think about what this crypto policy and regulation looks like uh, five, 10 years from now. Just a quick question on that, actually. Um, and I, I just want to get your thoughts. Do you, do you think because like, and this this is just, just just thinking about it as you speak but do you think because there's like a lack of trust of institutions like historically from certain communities then the idea of like crypto <laughs> you, your, your faith absolutely yeah like- absolutely um i tell you look i tell people all the time you know my grandmother who's not you know she's not super old or anything my grandmother is in you know her 60s right my grandmother right just opened a bank account maybe two years ago. Think about it. Yeah. Right. And the reason is my grandmother grew up, you know, in the fifties and then listening to her mother and talk who grew up during the great depression and talking about, you know, never putting your money in banks because banks, you know, they're terrible and, you know, they ain't good for nothing and the way they treat folks. And, you know, when you look on, you know, my grandma, you know, older, you know, they watch news all day, every day. You know, think about over the years how many, you know, financial or related crises, you know, the savings and loan crisis, the recession, you know, the looking on TV and seeing kind of uh, customers being, you know, taken advantage of home appraisals. Right. That, you know, discrimination in that market on kind of the valuation of our homes and kind of the role that, you know, traditional financial institutions have played. Now, they've also played. They've done amazing, great things as well. I'm not bank bashing or anything. But what I'm saying is that the allure of crypto is this is something that does not have a preconceived historical base here. And it's something that 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 looks at 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 its, you know, um, you know, as we kind of dive into it, a an opportunity for an ecosystem to be all inclusive and, right, and yeah. you know, diverse. So I said to say, yes, it, there, it, there comes a fear of, and I have friends my age who don't want to open up a bank account at a traditional financial institution. They would rather go with a fintech um, because they feel as though, but if I go bank with one of the, you know, top 20 banks or, you know, community bank, that somehow that they're going to do me wrong. Why? Yeah. Why? I don't know. Because of, you know, hey, we look on TV, we hear about these things, we hear about overdraft fee, we hear about all these things. And again, the most vulnerable people typically um, are are bearing the brunt of this. And so cryptocurrency serves as kind of this, this you know, and digital assets serves as this kind of saving grace, like to say, hey, you know, I can, you know, I can really take advantage of my own kind of 
financial life, a new asset class to build wealth and opportunity. And I know that it's transparent and things of that sort. So those are kind of the risk, you know, kind of the benefits that I think people see um, that just makes them attractive. Yeah, of course. Like, you know, when people think of like crypto and stuff, it's more of a flat structure and like, you know, ba- like historically banking institutions have more of a like, you know, what is the opposite of flat? <laughs> a sort of pyramid structure. That's right. That's, That's right. That's right. Yeah, well, that's I mean, right. that's and right. I think it's, I think it's like, I think it's small things as well. Like, um, cause, um, my sister recently, she, she got her first, like sort of signed up to her first sort of like fintech bank. And, um, but she said she, uh, a question she had was like, how do they, like, it's weird that you you don't speak to anyone about it because at the end of the day, when you used to open a bank, you go in and you tell them your whole like war and peace, you tell them that's your right. whole life, that's right. just, to, just to open a bank account. That's right. And the the difference is like when you talk about that kind of like you know the the historical nature especially within the american context it's like if you if like literally just to open a a, a bank account you just need to like send a picture of your face and and your driving license or whatever so you don't really have that human interaction which to a large extent people feel like the human interaction is not always great sometimes and, and people feel judged or people feel like why am i telling this person my whole life just just to open a bank account and like i guess Crypto, but the fintech industry in general kind of like alleviates that historical just stuff. That's right. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It takes and, all you know, of that about, you know, like microaggressions, yeah, the, I guess they, is the word. That's right. That's right. And and another benefit, I think it's, you know, you know, I have family and I think we all do. We do we all know someone who's been, you know, uh, you know, involved in the criminal justice system. And, you know, that's another issue that you know, traditional finance that, you know, to open up a bank account, have you ever been arrested? Have you ever been, you know, for something that may be 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, some banks choose not to open up a bank account because you're deemed high risk or whatever the cases may be. Um, And, you know, that that's another issue. Um, And so I know, you know, banks have moved or moving trending away from that, but crypto and fintechs also serve as a bridge for folks who are coming out of the criminal justice system. Um, as well. Uh, so I think that's another huge opportunity for, for fintechs to kind of go after that market population as well. So yeah. that's, 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 that, that's, those are all the exciting things that, you know, that make me, you know, keep me up every day, you know, tomorrow going to work every day to be like, you know, let's do it. No, it is really interesting. You say that like, cause <laughs> Sorry, another reality TV uh, reference, but I watched Love After Lockup. Again, it's an American show. It's basically like <laughs> one person's in prison. <laughs> I watched Love. One person's in prison, the other one's not in prison. And then it follows their relationship as like the one in prison comes out. But a massive thing that those couples have an issue with is like housing, because like in America, they don't like allow people to. Uh, rent houses if not everywhere but a lot of places can say like can discriminate against that but I'm not I don't think we have I don't think that's a thing in the UK but just things like that there's obviously so many barriers to people just based on like this used to be bad so we're just going to continue it to be bad so like fintech is no different this was actually a question that Rohit our guest from episode one gave but what was your sort of like oh shit moment in your career so you know a lot of the time when people are building or creating or like 
you know, just throughout their career, they have all these things happening and then things go wrong. What was that for you? Things go wrong or kind of do you mean like when I like was sitting down in my office one day, it was like, oh shit, like this is major. Like I'm just, wow. Or both. Which one you want? No, <laughs> I was thinking more when you, you made a mistake. <laughs> oh, um, I'm not going to admit to making a mistake at work on a podcast. No, I'm just joking. Um, no, you know what? I think, um, <laughs> uh, probably working on the hill for Maxine Waters, uh, and, uh, um, I, you know, she was getting ready to, you know, meet with a bunch of CEOs and things of that sort. And, um, I, I, you know, we have briefing memos and things of that sort we're getting her prepared and 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 i accidentally gave her the wrong memo and it was related to like i think it was like a housing memo for housing ceo like fanny and Freddie. she's meeting with so she's like in the room and you know she glance and she's looking at the and like she's reading down and you know this is on the heels of like getting ready for you know in in the united states uh, uh, in congress um we we have troops traditionally annually brought up um, for the last couple of years, the CEOs of the, you know, five largest banks, seven largest banks, the GSIBs. And so uh, we were getting ready for that. And um, I accidentally gave her the wrong memo. So, um, you know, that wasn't very well. And if anybody knows a chairwoman, um, uh, you have to, you know, dot your I's and cross all your T's. So, um, that wasn't that wasn't my best shining moment. Where it was like, oh, sh-. that was my oh shit moment. As in, like the severity and how serious and how important where where I sit every day. Not to take that, you know, for granted. And kind of how you know, like you should come every day prepared and pay attention to detail and and things of that sort. So all those things that everyone that everyone knows, you know, as being a professional and going to work and being an adult and all those things. But, you know, when you really sit down and think about it, how those little things are what separates kind of, you know, people who are at the top and kind of that mid tier. So um, for me, that was kind of my oh shit moment. Um, like Pierre gets, you know, stay on top of your game all, all the time, every time, 24 seven. Gosh, if that's your oh shit moment, then like you're great because like I feel like that <laughs> like that was nothing. You, you, I mean, obviously it was something, but I mean like in the sense of like I don't know, like if you, you see, you seem like you're you're pretty you're pretty. Um, I don't know. I feel like I make oh shit moments every day. Like, <laughs> even, <laughs> no, I mean you know you know even setting up know, the recording. Look, look, I'm gonna tell you now. I mean, look, I I take a lot of pride in you know, my work product and being kind of in this space. I mean, I'm going to tell you now, I mean, I know every time when I walk into a room or get on a Zoom or a pot or, you know, or a video that I'm probably walking into a room where no one else looks like me, that I'm going to be the only black guy. I'm going to be the youngest guy in the room. Um, there are preconceived notions, misconceptions already. You know, I'm on a podcast with a gold chain on, you know, you know, little things like that. Um, and so I know for me that I have to come prepared and bring my A game every time, every time. 
And so when you ask me the question, kind of an oh shit moment, it's I prepare, I, you know, you, you know, that was a real moment that I just mentioned, but my oh shit moments, I prepare not to have oh shit moments because unfortunately within the financial services space, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, you, 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 you walk a fine line and, and you're walking, you know, you know, unfortunately, you know, there's not a lot of room for error and that's just real. So I don't say that to say like, Oh, Pierre, like, you know, that's not really, it's just like, I prepare not to have oh shit moments because I can't afford to. No, I get, I get you. And I, I think, as you know, I feel like, as you know, I'm, I, I, I know what you're going through because I, I definitely feel that same way, especially in like my old jobs. Like, of course, I was the only one who looked like me. Um, but do you know what? It was like, people are going to look at me anyway. So it doesn't really matter what I wear if I put on a, whatever, whether I have like massive big braids or if I, if I, you know, have straight hair, I'm going to be looked at anyway. So it really does not matter. Right. I'm just like, I'm just prolonging the inevitable. <laughs> But yeah, well, I mean, creating an environment for that, but I also want to create the environment to ask you like questions that literally mean nothing. <laughs> like, oh, these, are, questions. these are these are excellent <laughs> questions, by the way. Excellent. Oh, well, thank you. Some of them I just came off the top of my head. But um, yeah, we're going to do a quick fire session. So I've Let's got 10 it. questions and just like answer what... Um, Oh, yeah, he's stretching for it. Okay, <laughs> just answer what comes to your head. So, um, okay, let's go. Lead a normal life from here onwards, or start again, reborn with all your memories. Lead a life from here onwards. Remote or office? Hybrid. Have unlimited money, or be the best at five things of your choice. Money. Salt or sweet? Sweet. Spicy or sweet? Spicy. Know the world's biggest secret, but not be able to tell anyone. Or everyone else knows the secret, but you're the only one in the world that doesn't. Oh, the, the first one. Know the world's biggest secret and not tell it. <laughs> okay. okay. I'm nosy. Um, I want to know. I want to know. Get, tell me all the tea. <laughs> fresh food or fried, fried food? Fresh food. Come on. I don't know. <laughs> You're from Atlanta, right? You know what? I thought you was gonna say that, and I do love a good, some good fried chicken, some fried fish. But give me, you know, I had to choose. All right. Learn by what watching or learn by doing? Learn by doing. Both, though. Both. Both. What was your last Google search? Google search. Oh, um, Ric Flair's last match. Ric Flair, the wrestler, his last match. It's coming up. July 31st, Ric Flair. I'm a huge wrestling fan. Okay, last one. Tell your past self one thing or tell your future self one thing. Um, I would tell my future self to not just do it. Just just do it. You can just, just go do it. Just go do it. Oh. You, you do a bunch of research. You try to do... What did you say? You said I, said, I would tell my future self um, to just do it. Like, just go and do it. Don't do, you know, you can do too much research. You can do too much second guessing. You can do too much kind of planning and, you know, all this stuff. And at the end of the day, it means nothing because it's only going to, you know, there's no such time as a right time or a perfect time to do anything. So just go do it. 
just go do it. You stole that off Nike. <laughs> so just go so, do it. Just go, go and do it. So yeah, and which is what I do. I I kind of yeah, just go do it. Yeah. If I wasn't doing this, you know, if I wasn't in this stuff, you know, if I wasn't doing what I do now for the last you know thirteen since I was nineteen, basically. So I think we're at thirteen years now. Um, I think I would like be doing like basketball. I would be coaching basketball or be involved in, you know, helping kids with like basketball or something like that. Um, and so when I say go and do it, like that's something that I still want to go and do and I'm going to go do it when I don't know, but I'm going to do it. That's, that's one of my, that's on my bucket list. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's be all and end all. I think you can you can do right. your policy and and be a basketball that's right. coach. That's right. That's right. Uh, one and one quick. And I know we're probably about to wrap, so but I got a shout out. I got a shout out to yeah my son Thailand. This is Fourth of July weekend. Um, he's coming cool. up here to DC. So if anybody have any recommendations, let me know for a fifteen year old to come to DC. Because as we all know, DC is never full of bars and happy hours. <laughs> oh, know, he's, he's turning 15. 15. You have a 15 year old. Uh, so. Oh, wow. Yes. Thailand. Happy birthday yes, to Th- yes, Thailand. He'll be here visiting. So uh, I'm getting ready for that this weekend here in DC. So it should be fun. So shout him out. Right. right. The bars. <laughs> I'm joking. So, uh, I'm joking. I mean, if he was in the UK, he'd only have three years. And, and uh, he's, he's looking forward to it. He's, he comes up regularly during the summer, but, you know, this was a little bit more meaningful, you know, that you're 15 now and you got your learner's license and stuff. And So anyway, that's what I'm dealing with in my personal life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I still don't know how to drive. And I've, I've, I'm way Wait, past 15 hey, now. I don't know how to drive. Yeah, can we just talk about? Just so, go do it. I don't know where that. Like, do it. <laughs> I know. It's, I'll, I'll be honest with you though. Like my neighbor, shout out to my neighbor. <laughs> whilst we're doing shout outs, he actually gave me my first ever driving license. Like the other day, he was like, he was, he took me to a car park. Actually, I don't, I don't. Yeah, he just took me to a car park, and we we went round. But at the end of the day, like, it's just honestly not on like my top like list of things to do that's the problem of growing up in a city like like london you you, you don't learn. <laughs> like it's not that i don't want to do it it's just like there's never a time where i'm like i need to learn to drive because yep, I, live in a, yep. I don't know i've always yeah. lived in a city so at some point maybe in, <laughs> like when i turn 60 or something <laughs> i don't know i think I'm, I'm i'm made for the passenger life and i'm just going with that yeah, I just what I bring is charisma and 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 good songs, you know, and and just that's that's what I contribute to the drive. You know, <laughs> and I'm okay with that. If you know, other you people know. might not be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. One day I'll learn. One day. Sure. Um, and yeah, okay. Just quick wrap up questions. Um, so as this is the fintech friends podcast, we're keen to highlight other friends that maybe don't know. Um, that people don't know about. So who is a friend of yours that you think we should highlight or look out for? Mm, I got a few, you know, this is what I got a few. Um, I think uh, shout out to Charla Wartatani, who's the staff director for the House Financial Services Committee. I think you should talk to her. Avi Malik is another person. 
who works over there as well. Um, Ale, Alejandra Barrage, who works at Davis Wright Tremaine, who's a former FDIC partner who's working closely on digital assets and um, stable coins and things of that sort and kind of the regulation around them. Um, and then I also think you should talk to, um, of course, you got, you know, my boss, uh, founder, CEO, John Betcha, or Raj Date, who co-founded this firm, FS Vector, um, with the hopes of kind of fintech as kind of that's their, that that's our bread and butter. Uh, they founded this firm, this company on kind of the future of fintech and what that looks like and the integration of fintech with banks and consumers and other uh, partners. Um, and so I, I think those are, you know, those are my fintech friends who I think could could have some, add some valuable insights and perspectives to the space. Awesome. Nice friends. Please, oh, actually... Um, when we finish, please send me their links as well so that we can actually follow up with our extra friends that we're going to create. And um, last question. Um, what is a question you think we should ask? A question? Well, first off, you should have asked me. Uh, you should have asked me what type, you know, my music, my preferences. We got to get off this fintech because, you know, it's all about the culture. <laughs> I'm joking. No, no, no. Uh, no, one question. I think you know. I would. I think you want to uh, ask them kind of what keeps them up every day. What keeps them up every day? What's their biggest the thing that like they go to see? They're like, what if? Like, what's what? This is what you know keeps me up at night. I think that's an interesting question, especially with everything that's going on now with market volatility and inflation. You know, we've seen kind of the activities that are happening in the digital asset space, crypto space. So I think, you know, your, your next guess is what keeps you up at night? Cybersecurity, hackers, you know, I'll be interested in hearing that. And I'll be, I'll be interested in hearing that. Yeah. I kind of want, want to know what keeps them up at night in their personal life. In their pers- <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In their personal life. Make it therapy session. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, okay, answer, right, your, answer, answer your own question. Ratings through the roof. What, <laughs> <laughs> what keeps you up at night? I'm joking. <laughs> what keeps me up at night okay, in my personal thank life? Thank you so sure, much. I can yeah, answer I mean, question. Go on, yeah. Go on, answer no, it. No, no, no. <laughs> no, I, uh, I don't know. I, I have to come back to you on that. I, I, I Look, I'm single if you know any future, if you have, if you have any fintech female friends, I'm open up dating. We can talk crypto and fintech over a nice glass of wine. Amazing. Thank you so much, Pierre. That's it. That's it. There you um, go. We'll do. Well, actually, you know, this week in fintech is having a fintech formal. And obviously, I think that's a great place to find, you know. I'm just saying. There we go. This is perfect. But yeah, thank you so much, Pia, for your time. Thank you again um, for the conversation and uh, the invitation and all the best to you um, with your podcast. I mean, this is just amazing. Um, Keep thriving, keep elevating voices and, you know, voices that need to be heard um, to help move, you know, this space forward. Appreciate everything that you guys are doing. 
Signals is a subscriber-only newsletter focusing on deep dives, thought leadership, and so much more. Here is a quick snippet from our latest one. The stock market secret. Who benefits when brokers accept payment for order flow? Let's say you want to buy five shares of Holly, H-O-O-L. Your broker, Robin Hood, will execute the trade without charging you a commission. Instead, a market maker will pay Robin Hood for the privilege of filing the order, otherwise known as payment for order flow. Payment for order flow is already banned in the UK and the SEC is reviewing its role in US markets. But fans argue that without PFOF, retail investors would have to pay fees to brokers to execute their order. And if retail, and if retail investors pay less to trade, doesn't this make them better off? The short answer, it's nuanced. <laughs> that was too much. The short answer, it's nuanced. Let's dive into payment for order flow. Robinhood goes shopping. As your broker, Robinhood has to file your order at best price available in the market, as quoted by the National Best Bid and Offer in Europe and the European Best Bid and Offer. The NBBO, EBBO reflects a security highest bid selling price and lowest, and lowest ask buying price offered across exchanges at any point in the day. Robinhood can also offer you price improvements by filing your buy order at price below the NBBO. So that was The Stock Market Secret by Sophie Vo. To read the rest of this article, subscribe to the This Week in Fintech newsletter. And one more time for good luck. <laughs> Let's say you want to buy five shares of Holly, H-O-O-L. Your broker, oh, I didn't introduce it. The Stock Market Secret, who benefits when brokers accept payment for order flow? Let's say you want to buy five shares of Holly, H-O-O-L. Your broker, Robin Hood, will execute the trade without charging you a commission. Instead, a market maker will pay Robin Hood for the privilege of filing the order, otherwise known as payment for order flow. Payment for order flow is already banned in the UK and the SEC is reviewing and the SEC is reviewing its role in the US markets. But fans argue that without PFOF, retail investors would have to pay fees to brokers to execute their orders. And if retail investors pay less to trade, doesn't this, doesn't this make them better off? The short answer, it's nuanced. Let's dive into payment for order flow. Robinhood goes shopping. As your broker, Robinhood has to file your order at best price available in the market as quoted by the National Best Bid and Offer in Europe, the European Bid and Offer. The NBBO or EBBO reflects a higher security bid selling price and lowest asking buying price offered across exchanges at any point in the day. Robinhood can also offer you price improvements by filing your order at price below the MBBO. That was a snippet of The Stock and Market Secret by Sophie Vo. To read the rest of this article, subscribe to the This Week in Fintech newsletter.